0: Good morning. Good to see everybody out here this morning. Uh, My name is Ryan James, one of the elders at New Life. And it's my honor to be able to uh, close out our Advent sermon series that's been entitled White as Snow. Over the past few weeks, we've covered uh, sin and the devastating impact on each of our lives. We've covered God becoming man in the form of a baby. And last week, we heard from Greg about the answer to our sin problem, being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Because when we receive Christ as Savior, we are redeemed. Amen? Amen. So today, uh, the big idea is that in Christ, we are made new to be ambassadors for the kingdom. Might be something you want to jot down. That in Christ, we are made new to be ambassadors for the kingdom. And that's going to be the theme of, of the passages that we cover today. And I'm confident that, that God will, will uh, bring that true and hopefully will reflect in our lives going forward. Around 21 years ago, I was called into full-time ministry. In that prior year, I had finished grad school we had moved here to start my new job as a chemist at Battelle. Our girls were four and two at that time, and we had been attending New Life for much of that first year. So it was a, it was a new church at that time, and the concept of church planting and being a part of a non-denominational church, you know, all this was intriguing to us and exciting to us. And so I actually had a meeting with our lead pastor at that time, and I shared with him that all these things, that that we were were excited, intrigued, you know, it just was was all different. And perhaps most importantly in that meeting, I was like, you know, now that I've been on this new job path for like a year, I'm not sure how excited I am about the next 20, 30, 40 years of doing this J O B, this job. And, you know, does anybody else feel at times that maybe, you know, the the work they're doing, the job they have, the the task that's given you, you know, whatever it is, and parenting, do you ever feel like you're in a season or in a rut or in like, is this really what I'm meant to be doing? Yeah, I'm seeing a few nods of, of heads. Even way in the back, there's some nods of heads. Good work back there. I'll start calling names. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a natural, I don't know. I think we, we live our lives a little bit wondering, making sure, wanting to know. And so I certainly was sensing that after year one <laughs> or in year one. So looking back on it, I don't even know what I was asking him. I, 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 ha- I had no ministry experience I had no training. Was I asking him for a job? I mean, was that is was that what I was in that meeting doing? When I put myself back there and put myself in his shoes, I must have sounded ridiculous. In, in a way, I mean, at the time, uh, Pastor Eric, who we all know, um, was and, and the worship director at the time, Craig, they were both working uh, jobs on the side to make ends meet. The lead pastor was the only person that was full-time, and that hadn't been for that long. Um, at that time. And so it was, it was sort of a, uh, as I look back on it, um, I sort of shake my head at myself. But to his credit, uh, he took me very seriously, and um, the way I remember it anyway, <laughs> he told me to take some time to breathe, experience the new job, engage in ministry, and that God would work it out. So, shortly thereafter, and I've maybe shared this story to some of you before, but I was in LifeWay Christian Bookstore, which, does that even exist anymore, anywhere? Online only, yeah. So, anyway, I was actually at the bookstore, where you could actually pick up a book and flip through it. Um, and I came across a book called Serving Christ in the Workplace. And it was exactly what I needed at that time. Uh, it's a book that lays out what working in the marketplace uh, with an eye towards gospel ministry and being an ambassador for Christ looks like. And I think it, for me, it, it settled some of my concern that I was somehow missing God's will and calling on my life, missing God's will for me. So looking back on it now, 21 years later, that leading from the Holy Spirit, that meeting, I really launched my career in the workplace And I was able to settle in, uh, and as I was able to settle in and and focus, as I knew I needed to be there for a while. Turns out it was more than a little while. Um, It also launched my other career as a leader at New Life. Settling in, focus on serving, doing what needed to be done, and engaging in our church family as God gave me opportunities and desire, and that those were that were affirmed by the leaders at the time and since then. So I praise God for those moments, Um, as I know my my career in both places. has been a blessing to our family, and I think my presence has been a blessing at Battelle, and I hope that uh, it's been a blessing here at New Life as well. So the question is, when we have this feeling of routine or mundane of our lives— of being maybe stagnant in the life work that God has us in right now, is there a change of approach or motivation that might be on our horizon? So I want us to consider that today, the the why of our lives. Why are we living as we do? And why are we doing what we do as we we open up God's word this morning? So I want to turn to um, Luke chapter 2. And we're going to pick up on the the Christmas story narrative just after the account of baby Jesus being born and as the shepherds enter onto the scene. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen at it as it had been told them. So the shepherds in that moment were doing a job. They were sheep herding. <laughs> it was a noble profession throughout Jewish history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rachel, King David, they herded goats and sheep and were proud of it. So this was this was a noble profession. You know, they were they were protecting. They were seeking out water and food for the sheep and just keeping track of the herds, so they weren't getting lost, or maybe thieves weren't trying to prey on the stragglers. And it was a twenty-four-seven job. This job, while noble, it certainly um, wasn't glamorous in the least bit. And that night, the shepherds were minding their own business when that angel appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. You know, get a picture of your mind's eye. Maybe the darkest. Place you've ever been, if you've been, I don't know, out in a field somewhere or f- found yourself in some situation where you're out on a road, your car broke down, and you get out and it, it's dark. Um, put that sort of in your mind's eye right now of just darkness, and then all of a sudden, boom, an angel appears in front of you. The, the brightness, which I don't think that we can even fathom, that startled these shepherds. The Bible says straight up that they were afraid. And the angel said basically three things to the shepherds right there in that moment when they were fearful. He's, he said, don't be afraid. Well, that real, that's real helpful. Um, I bring you good news of great joy. And then thirdly, and perhaps most importantly for them, is that this will be for all the people and i believe they took that to heart. So so what was the news? Going back to to chapter 2, jumping down to verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. There had been a baby born, but it wasn't just any baby. This baby is a savior of all people. The angel then followed up with the logistics of where they could confirm this information and how they could be certain then just as icing on the cake a multitude of the heavenly host appeared praising god and saying glory to god on the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased you know it's hard to imagine one angel in the setting of this darkness uh, of the darkness of that night, let alone a multitude, likely thousands of angels appearing, at least how and I envision it where you had the one angel that showed up in the middle of the dark, and then you have this enormous backup choir of of a multitude, just a remarkable sight that they had the privilege of experiencing and so the good news that the angels announcing was that The baby was a savior. What does a savior do? A savior saves. As Greg talked about last week, a savior redeems. Like Boaz for Ruth and Naomi, so baby Jesus does for us, only in a more significant way, providing not just for the sustenance to live and a place to live, but the forgiveness of sin and the hope of, of eternity with Him, and what was the heavenly host saying in response? Glory to God in heaven, and here on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. It's interesting. A year ago, during the Advent sermons, I talked in depth about this peace, and I'd encourage you to go listen to that Advent message um, if you're interested in in hearing more and and thinking about peace in a in a more Deep way, this peace, this Christmas peace, this peace is not the lack of conflict in our world or in our lives, but it can be a side benefit. A, a little story: Has anybody heard of the Christmas Truce of 1914? A few nods of nods of heads going up. Um, so, during World War One, actually, some of the early days of of the European conflict. There had been brutal warfare uh, on the front lines and this was leading into the winter of 1914 and in particular there was a, uh, a, a portion of the line, this didn't happen everywhere, it was very localized, but there was a place where there had been this trench warfare between uh, the British and the Germans that they were separated by perhaps only 50 yards. So, I mean, you're, you're talking, that's, that's you know, not far at all um, when you've got um, heavy fighting happening. So as Christmas approached, um, some of the lower-ranking British officers had beginning to begin to order their men not to fire unless fired upon. And so I'm going to read a, just a, a, a snippet about what happened in that area um, to to show just one of the byproducts that can happen with a common belief, a common faith, and a common tradition in Christmas, actual Christmas. Um, So this policy became known as live and let live, and it would be adopted on an ad hoc basis throughout the war, particularly in less active sectors. Like all implementations of live and let live, the officers' decisions were made without any authorization from above, and the tenuous truce started slowly to take hold. As morning broke on Christmas Day, German soldiers emerged from their trenches, waving their arms to demonstrate that they had no ill intent. When it became clear that they were not carrying weapons, British soldiers soon joined them, meeting in no man's land to socialize and exchange gifts. Censorship had not yet been imposed on letters home, and British soldiers wrote of playing soccer and sharing food and drink with men who had been, just a day earlier, their mortal enemies. These accounts stressed that the men themselves could scarcely believe the remarkable events that were transpiring around them and that they recognized, even in the moment, their unique and historic significance. All was not frivolity, however, as some of the most common activities in areas observing the Christmas truce were joint services to bury the dead. It just touches my heart and and moves me to imagine those moments, the devastation of war in the midst of it, but, but around a common Christian tradition with the singing of carols and the, the recognition that we're not here to harm. They came together for moments, only for just days later, for the brutal fighting to resume. So this, this peace is not peace on earth, but instead it is us being made right with God through what would ultimately be the shed blood of this baby Jesus. Those that have received him and receive him are made right through the shedding of this blood. So back to the the shepherds. The shepherds were getting this news hot off the press. And the angel had one last message, a third message, that this message wasn't just for the shepherds, but it would be for all people. So what would the shepherds do with this information moving down to to verse 15 when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger so it seems like they really didn't doubt the message but they no doubt had questions all this had happened in a moment, and they, they couldn't have known everything. So what did they do? They went. They went to see, probably to just become a part of this situation, to become a part of this amazing event, and at the same time confirming what they had been told. Why wouldn't you want to see if, if God and his representatives had made the point of coming to tell them in this dramatic fashion why wouldn't you go and see? And so they did. And in doing that, they got the opportunity to encourage Mary and Joseph. You know, think about their position. They got to tell Mary and Joseph what the angel had told them, which of course affirmed all that the angel had told them about their baby and what they had told Mary and Joseph prior to. To the pregnancy, what a blessing they must have been to this young couple who had to be pretty overwhelmed in those moments. Verse twenty, it rounds out the the, the current situation. It says this, and the shepherds returned. So, where did the shepherds return to? The sheep, right? I mean, sheep must have been hanging out somewhere shepherds they went back to work right it says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them shepherds went back to work no doubt changed who wouldn't be changed after seeing the angel of the Lord and the heavenly host show up and then going to have everything they said affirmed to them? They were changed. They were doing their jobs with a different attitude, with a different approach, doing so, glorifying and praising God as they did it, becoming mouthpieces of God, announcing the arrival of this, sa- of this Savior. They had encountered the Savior face to face, and they believed. They believed they were made new. So did they understand every piece of what this Savior would encounter over the coming years and endure on their behalf? I'm sure not. I'm sure not. But they received this message, this news, and they responded with trusting confidence and faith. They shared the news with others and they worshiped returning to their new job their jobs with a new perspective in a way they were made new so based on the nods of heads previously you know all of us working a job being in a career going to school facing the kids every single morning and parenting you know these days can be a grind and so we ask ourselves maybe somewhat regularly is this a noble task? I would say, yes, if God has given you a work to do, it is a noble task. We're like, we're like the shepherds in that. We're doing noble tasks. We're doing noble activities. The question is, how? How are we engaging these tasks? After all, we already have the good news. We've got the benefit of all the whole story the whole story of redemption from, from the Old Covenant all the way through with a thread woven through the New Covenant and the New Testament. We know what Jesus did for us. And if we have received Christ as Savior, we have to ask ourselves that question. How do we return? How do we take that message? How do we go back to work? And how do we view, and engage given our changed status, our status of being made new. To unpack that, I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And here we find Paul writing to the church in Corinth when they're receiving a whole lot of pushback and even ridicule on the topic of the gospel, and of Christianity in general. So we're fast-forwarding, you know, a bunch of years here where, where Christians knew the full story of Christ. Christ grew up, and then he paid the price for their sins, and now we're entering in the era of churches like us only a while ago. So here we find Paul writing to them, encouraging them to press on, living for Christ. We're going to start in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died, and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. So what does this mean? It means that looking at a person based on what their job is or what their accomplishments are, or how much money they have, or influence they may peddle, are meaningless. No one is regarded, according to this, these earthly attributes. No one's one's regarded according to this, or earthly importance. Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. And he noted that he even regarded Christ according to the flesh, which means he didn't believe in the death and resurrection of Christ until a certain point in his life when he encountered Christ. But that is no longer the case. The only standard now that Paul is making the case for is whether or not they are in Christ or not. Verse 17, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new Has come. He is a new creation. He is a new creature. Some say that it's actually best translated to say, let him be a new creation, sort of releasing us into being a new creation. For after all, the old is gone, the new has come. So, what part of us is gone, and and what parts have to be recreated? Well, old sinful ways, probably things that we say, things we watch or engage in, movies, music, reading, websites, things we do and think about, the places we go and the way we interact with people. Maybe even some of the old people need to go. (laughs) Or maybe we need to engage them in a different way. No longer just hanging out with them and Engaging in less-than-edifying activities, but now praying for them to receive Christ and to be in Christ and to be released into their own new creation. We need to wean ourselves from the world and live for Christ. Let the old be gone and embrace this new creature. So, if the old is gone and the new has come, what's new or what needs to be new? We need to have a hunger for the truth. We need to have a hunger for God's word. We need to have a hunger for the power of the Holy Spirit, asking for it and expecting to see it. We need to have a desire to share the good news with those around us, the desire to worship in the context of the church, the desire to be in community with other believers, the desire to stamp out the old forever and live for the new. So what about those that aren't in Christ? The old is still there. There's no new hope. There's no new nature. There's no new creation. There's no change. It's heartbreaking. So, the shepherds came away from their encounter with the angel and the confirmation of all they had seen. They were changed. They were made new. Now, Paul gets... Even more specific in Colossians chapter 3 uh, verses five through 10 and how we can be made new. Actually we're going to start in verse nine. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. I'm sorry, we're going to start in five. I've I, I jumped forward. Um, we're going to start back in verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, and when you were living in them, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We are a new Creation. The shepherds were made new. When we receive Christ, we are made new in Him. And then, um, in verse twelve, actually says, "Put on them compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience." It goes on from there to say, "Be forgiving." Put on Christ's love. We are made new. We are changed. Paul speaks of this often throughout his other letters, such as Ephesians, as well. So when we are in Christ, we are made new. Like when we saw the shepherds working a job, experiencing the angel, providing them them information and news, they just didn't abandon their life in place. They returned, presumably doing the same thing, having the same responsibilities, but doing it with a different focus, no longer with an eye towards fleshly desires, but viewing the work as a pathway into lives of people who need the Savior that, have come, that has come into the world. So once in Christ and change, it's clear that we have a God-given task. Uh, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, we're going to go to verse 18 and 19. Paul continues after making it clear that the old has passed away and the new has come. He says in verse 18, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation does this sound familiar? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among them, those with whom he is well pleased. This peace that the angelic host was speaking of was God through Christ's work at the cross, reconciling the world to himself. Outside of a saving relationship with God, with Christ, there is no peace with God. The default status For every man is enmity between God and man. Each of us here. Each person in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, at our sports leagues, start in utter disagreement with God. So the true gift of God is that Christ makes access to him. He reconciles us to him through Christ. The definition of reconcile, to reestablish, a close relationship between, reestablish. One that was there wasn't there, and now it's back again. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. That relationship was marred by the stain of sin, and it has continued through the sin nature of every life that has come into existence since that time. The message that the angels were worshiping with following the shepherds visiting the new baby highlights the first true redemptive power that would be available since the fall. The shed blood within the sacrificial system provided under the law just temporarily covered the sins of man, but only now with the incarnation of God. God coming to earth as man, not just like man, But the God-man in Jesus, coming to earth to overcome sin by living a holy life and dying on the cross and being raised again by God, Christ defeats the sting of sin permanently, reconciling us to God, reestablishing the relationship and making access to a Savior that we all are desperately in need of. This is emphasized in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this ministry of reconciliation? For those of us that have received this peace with God, he looks past our old selves and the old habits and lifestyles and principles we live by, and he entrusts the spreading of the good news of the gospel to us, that we wouldn't be shy about sharing what has been life-changing and eternity-changing for us. As we, as we wind down that passage in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 20, Paul gives us this bit of Direction. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Where are you, Christ's ambassador? What does that look like? What does that sound like in your interactions? What tasks and treat... That's what an ambassador does, right? An ambassador goes into another country, a foreign country, with the the priorities and the tasks given by his home country, by his home leaders. And so what priorities and tasks are we bringing into our places in which we are Christ's ambassadors? What are we taking into our foreign land that we go into every day that's reigned by darkness. As Paul said, we make his appeal for the gospel. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And if you're here this morning and not, not having this reconciliation with God, we implore you, I implore you, be reconciled with God today. Verse 21, Paul finishes this chapter by saying, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his son to earth as a tiny baby, weak, needing to be fed, clothed, changed, raised as a boy into a man by his parents. This baby Boy and man would not be stained by the curse of sin ever even once, but by God's design, the sin of the world would be placed on him. And he who had no sin, so that he we might become the righteousness of God. Doesn't sound fair, does it? Not fair at all. He took That on us. Praise God, He had a plan, and Jesus was part of the planning and in agreement with its execution. Amen. One of the things that that I look forward to in Christmas time is the opportunity to celebrate the coming of the Savior again. We return year after year back to the manger, the decorations, the giving of gifts because of the miraculous gift God gave us through His Son. So what is it that we're doing to share the gift with others this year? What are we doing to to bring others on this journey, this repeated journey year in, year out? And so as we face this coming week and month um, and we interact with people even in the coming year, I want to ask, who is it that we're interacting with most? In order to provide access to people's lives, we need to get to know them and pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them. How will we do that? Well, we need to refresh ourselves. Hey, the the three circles that we talked about last spring, I gave a refresher in my sermon during October. Remind yourself of them. It fleets from our mind. It flees away. Remind ourselves of that. Secondly, you can practice converting life conversation into gospel conversations as you're driving to your holiday destinations. Have a family game of taking routine conversations about sports, work, family, and making them a transition into a spiritual conversation. Yeah, those games can be a little hokey, but and they don't necessarily work perfectly all the time, but what it does do is it, it tunes our mind of having a radar so that every conversation, without being totally hokey, Your mind is set towards transitioning regular conversations into spiritually relevant conversations. Spiritually, taking them in a spiritually relevant directions. Just Friday, I was uh, one of my team members. um, I was doing a performance review at work with one of them and we were talking about this person's career path and the opportunities she was or wasn't getting. And in that moment, something popped in my head and, and I said, hey, I'm a Christian and so I trust God to bring along opportunities here and there and what comes along, all I can do is work at them to the best of my abilities and I got to let him worry about the rest. And so I was able to say to her, I want that sort of contentment for you. And... I want you to be okay. We'll work to find you opportunities, but I want you to be okay and just work at whatever comes along. And, and so it, it didn't go into a full gospel presentation, but it was a, a moment in time, a marker that perhaps maybe either she will come back to me with or I will be able to go back with her. In a, in a similar fashion, but different, I was at the dentist um, about a month and a half ago. And um, so we've been going to the same dentist for 20 years. And so, you know, we're tight in the, you know, five minutes after the checkup conversation. But, you know, five minutes times two times 20. I mean, it's a, we've, we've talked, right? And um, so our dentist is Jewish. And I told him, I go, you're the only Jewish guy I know. And, and so I, this was on the heels of October 7th. And so I was expressing my, you know, empathy and, sadness over the, the horrible brutalities that had been done to his people. And he, is, he has very tight relationships in Israel because of the, the education and schooling that he has had over the years. And I knew this because of our previous five-minute conversations. Um, and and I, I kind of expounded on that topic and I said, you know, it's just horrible and it seems as though the Jewish people have had more than their share of brutality on them over the years Why is that? And I just went on to share. I said, I believe it's because they're God's chosen people. You are God's chosen people, and their enemies are anti-God, which brings these brutalities more and more frequently, and I am sad about that. And I could tell I had his attention, and what I didn't go on to do, and I'm kicking myself to this day, um, but I do want to organize actually a conversation with him. I didn't go on to say, but I believe that Jesus came to not only not to to not abolish the law but to fulfill the law and that he came to save not only the gentile but the Jew and your family. And so I didn't go that step and I could have. So I missed it that time. But, you know, lessons learned and I want to improve on that again. But the point is is that if we pray for and we look for these opportunities, I trust that God will provide some of them. And we will do our best to share truth, and you will do best to share truth when you have those opportunities. So with, with all these informal work and family gatherings over the coming weeks, there's one other type of person that you may face and that I want you to be equipped for to some extent. And that's the person that's actually ready to engage you on topics of biblical and spiritual substance. These interactions can be challenging. They can be intimidating. And so I wanted to give you three, three questions. And this is, these are um, in part from Greg Kokel's book called Tactics. And they're three questions you might be able to implement with uh, the intellectuals that you may face and that you might enjoy discussing or debating with, or you might be Frightened by it. But either way, these questions can be helpful. The first one is, what do you mean by that? If a claim is made that is broad or uses broad, sweeping terminology that you may or may not even fully understand yourself, it's a great question that keeps the burden of proof on the sharer. Don't don't prematurely take on something that they've claimed. You don't have to explain everything. Ask them, what do you mean by that? And allow them to expound. Second question, how did you come to that conclusion? When a firm opinion is stated, be reminded that opinions are not proof. It's just this person sharing their thoughts. They may be completely, they probably are completely entirely wrong. Again, don't grab up the conversation and try to defend everything you know. Turn it back on them. How did you come to that conclusion? Allow them to present the evidence that they have used to come to that conclusion. If there is any, there's probably not, and they may get clam, you know, kind of clammed up there when you turn that conversation on. Then allow you to provide something very simple and very straightforward in a message of the gospel like the three circles. And thirdly, let me think about that, and let's talk again. Always, always a great technique. And the technique its not really a technique. It's just, it's just natural politeness in some ways. If you, if you need some more time or would like some more time in any setting, it's almost fair with a friend to say, let me think about that and we can talk more. And so no one's going to be offended by that in most cases. This is great for, this is great for fast talkers um, or when you're actually outmatched intellectually. I mean, the person might know more than you. And you might need to go do some homework. That's okay. It's okay. Let me think about that, and let's talk again. In most of these settings, especially with family and coworkers, it's not actually a real rush. You're going to see these people you know, next week or at the next family gathering. It's, it's okay. So back to where we started the morning. At that time, 20... 21 years ago, I was, I was sensing, the, sensing the nudge of the Holy Spirit in a new way, and I feel like I had to respond to it. And the only way in that moment that I knew how to do was to abandon everything that God had brought me here to do and be a pastor. That was, that was my reaction to just some new information. And as it turns out, I'm confident. I really think what God wanted me to do was engage fully in what he had brought us here to do and to live and to work with a different focus. Really being a pastor in all the settings that I live and work, being in full-time ministry, regardless of who's paying me. And that's really my prayer for, for each of us this morning that, that one, we receive Christ, that that we're made new based on the message we're of, that the shepherds received that night, that the Savior came. And the Savior lived and died and was risen again. And that we were made new in light of his sacrifice for us. And that too, like the shepherds who returned to work, changed. That we would return to work and not stagnant and mundane, but returning to work in full-time ministry as ambassadors for Christ. Regardless who's paying us. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we're just grateful for this morning. We're grateful for um, your son coming to earth as a baby, this time of year that we get to revisit this, and we get to engage it with people in our workplaces, in our families, whether we are celebrating and saying Merry Christmas to people or people are avoiding the word itself the topic is on the table and we thank you for that and we just pray that we would be able to to use that opportunity to share the truth of your word and and when and because we're changed that we live life with a focus of sharing this good news with you and we have that be a priority as we work out our lives, and the tasks that you've given us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.